You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Okay. Uh, hey, a lot has to happen for Sunday morning to happen. And uh, yes, I'm here speaking. We're going to have fun. Scott came in, helped us out. But uh, truly, so much of our staff is at General Assembly, which we're really thankful for, which means that so many other people have jumped in to help. Production, behind the scenes, volunteering in different ministries, both in music and just all over the place. So real quick, can we give everybody a hand? Let them know that we're thankful for them. We love them. Like we said, General Assembly, if you are new to our church today and you're like, man, I don't get what's going on at all. Uh, we are not just a church that's right here in Bethany. We are part of a larger movement. It is a global movement. We have almost two million people involved in the Church of the Nazarene doing amazing things for God. So that's what this is. They get together. They encourage each other, all types of different ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures. And so it's really exciting to see what God is doing. Pastor Casey, uh, this week we were on the phone and he said, you know, it's pretty cool. Pastor Rick figured you were Nazarene enough to preach, but not Nazarene enough to come to General Assembly. (laughs) So I was like, yeah. I guess so. Uh, so, but I'm here. I pick you guys anyway. All right. I had the choice. All right. I wanted to preach to you guys. We have been talking about what God sees when he looks at you, you from God's view. And that series is over and we're moving forward, but that's basically where I'm just going to pick up because I think if we get that right, we get everything else right. And pastor Rick has been leaving us, leading us on this charge of saying, Hey, We've been given a gift, okay? And this gift is a life that is full and abundant beyond anything we can imagine. It is the person of Jesus himself. We do not bury this gift. We don't hide it. This is something to be shared. And so our goal now is to start sharing that with as many people as possible. We have a tangible goal, 500 people over the next couple of years. But man, we want to go beyond that. We want to touch and reach as many people as possible. So today, I'm going to look at a passage that uh, is usually only read around Easter time. And uh, at first, it might seem a little bit discouraging, especially since I'm like the joy guy, you know. But... We're going to find some hope and we're going to find some excitement in it. So let's go today to Luke 22. We're going to be in verse 54 through 62. And uh, and now you can start the timer. Okay, up there. Now you can start it. It's on the screen. It might be in your Bibles or your phones. Uh, here it is. Jesus has uh, told the guys that he's going to get arrested, that he's going to the cross. And that's what we're going to pick up. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, hey, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. I want to add that in other gospels, uh, Peter He intensifies in his denials and he commits even stronger. Luke is saying, hey, I think the denials are bad enough. So I'll give Peter a break and we'll just keep him at the denial part. A little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, you you're also one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied about an hour later. Another asserted, no, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what 
you were talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That is the passage we're going to look at uh, today. So God, thank you for your word and thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, the stats are in, folks, and they're not looking good in my direction, okay? As a 30-year-old with a slight ACL tear, the chance of any NFL team drafting me in the near future is zero, okay? No chance whatsoever, all right? That makes sense now. We can get that. It's kind of, look at me, all right? There's no chance that I'm going to get drafted and be one of those gladiators. But as a kid, uh, I had that dream, all right? And uh, there was still 0% chance, but I didn't care. I didn't think about that, right? I remember I was in kindergarten, and I was sitting with my dad. We were on the couch. And, you know, my dad at the time, when you're a little kid, like my dad was a gladiator, right? I thought his hands were huge. I thought he was big, intimidating, scary guy. As I grew up, I was like, he is a very kind, meek, mild, small man. Uh, and so, but I didn't give up hope on the fact that the players in the NFL, they were giants. And people liked to cheer them on, and they were impressed by them, and they made a sport that seemed difficult seem easy, right? And so I'm watching, I'm like, Dad, sign me up, I want to play, okay? And he's like, okay, yeah, whatever you want. They always fan the flame of whatever dream I had of the week. So, that week, I wanted to be in the NFL. I said, sign me up. He said, yeah, let's do it. You're going to play for the uh, Mighty Might Lions, all right? At this point, Pastor Rick would show you a beautiful picture of his granddaughter, Sadie, but I got one of me. <laughs> there I am. Uh, now, let's investigate this because someone should have told my parents that they were out of line, all right? Look at how tiny I am. Those shin guards are supposed to be at my kneecaps. <laughs> I am swimming in those shoulder pads. And that is a peewee football. Look at my tiny little hand, okay? Inappropriate for me to be on the field. It's amazing I'm standing here today. My point is, we went to my first practice, my first game, and I wasn't a big kid, so I obviously didn't make the line, all right? I wasn't the coach's son, so I didn't play quarterback. Thank you. I didn't have any skill whatsoever, so I wasn't running back either, okay? So he puts me what seemed like a mile away as wide receiver, and he said, look, just watch the play. And I said, okay. The coach on the other side was obviously better because he told his player, hey, as soon as the ball is snapped, you run and you hit that other kid as hard as you can with the top of your helmet right in his chin, okay? And that's exactly what happened. I go flying back. I land on my back, immediately burst into tears, all right? Zero shame. I sat up. I found my dad in the sea of people. I said, Dad, I quit. I don't want to play this game no more. I got up, walked over there. I wasn't embarrassed. He probably was. He had to take my pads off, give them back to the coach. I didn't play again until my senior year of high school. I figured I needed some time to rest, recuperate. <laughs> senior year, what I lacked in commitment, experience, and size, I made up for in confidence. And somehow, I became the quarterback of my senior high school football team, all right? So I knew that quarterbacks got the girls. I knew that that was the position that everyone liked and uh, wanted to cheer for. That's the position where your name gets called a lot. And I was like, that, sign me up, okay? So I come out to SNU to play football because a lot of guys, they go to small private Christian NAIA schools, get drafted to the NFL. So I figured this was my best path. 
And so I get there and, uh, oh yeah, I forgot. There I am in college. Uh, let's do the side by side real quick and then we'll move on. Look at that 99. It was destiny guys. I was never supposed to go to the NFL. So I'm in college and I realized that, oh my goodness, six string quarterbacks, they don't get a lot of investment or looks from anybody. And so I'm just going to play around and practice. That's what I did. I'd go over, I'd kick field goals with the kickers. And wouldn't you know it, I was pretty good at it. I'd kick 35, 40, 45, 50 yard field goals. All right. Why? No one in my life was like, hey, uh, you can't see over the linemen. But you're pretty good at kicking field goals. You should try that. Uh, I'll never know, okay? Who knows where I could be today? I could have been in the XFL this past season, all right? Kicking field goals. But instead, I didn't. And in fact, I had to watch one of my best friends. He's here today, Alec. He was a starting quarterback for SNU for six, seven, eight years, right? I can't remember. Uh, but my whole point is, because now we're going to get into Scripture, which is why we're here, is that... Man, it's not that I wasn't athletic. It's not that I wasn't gifted or or called to do something. I was just in the wrong position. I was in the wrong spot on the bus, right? I was playing the wrong role. I had another opportunity. I could have kind of really fit into what I was called and able to do. Not necessarily be a kicker, but I'm now moving into the metaphor phase of my message. And it's just this idea that, man, we all have positions and we all have roles in life. Some are temporary and some are forever, right? And the issue is if if we find ourselves in the right position, usually life's going to come a little bit easier, a little bit simpler. But if we find ourselves in the wrong position, we're going to be trying to force ourselves into something that we were never built or designed to be in in the first place. And so when it comes to our faith, man, God is saying, hey, I've got a position for you. I've got a role for you. And trust me, it's, it's going to be better if you lean into this one, and, and I love how Jesus says it in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He just says, hey, I'm not going to lay anything heavy or real fitting on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Just walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will teach you how to live freely and lightly. Bottom line, that's my whole sermon, so don't get up and walk out. But But that's the position that God wants us to live in in our life. But if we start thinking, well, Jesus, yeah, let me let me do some of the work for you. We're going to get tired. We're going to burn out. This week, I forgot to mention, I was speaking at a camp and I uh, spoke six times. So it really got me ready for you. And uh, I'm speaking there. And I think it was like the third night. Uh, one of the sponsors comes up to me. I can tell he's maybe late 30s. Uh, nice looking guy. And he says, uh, hey, uh, I love what you're doing for the kids. But I'm going to be honest. You're speaking right to me. And I was like, I am but a humble servant, Michael. But tell me the best parts of what I've been saying. I'd love to hear it. But we're talking and uh, he's like, man, you just, everything you're saying is exactly where I've been. And he was like, three years ago, I don't know how to describe it any other way other than God truly met me where I was just like he met Saul who became Paul. And he was like, my wife and I, we were we were on the path to divorce. Our kids were doing terrible. Um, I was unhappy. My wife was unhappy. We had no relationship with God. We weren't even thinking about it. We weren't a part of a church community. That's what makes this whole thing so wild. It's because all of a sudden, one day when I was driving home from my job, he was a lab technician for an oil company. And he was like, I was doing pretty good financially. He's like, but God just... He just got a hold of me. He said, Michael, I've got something for you. I've called you. I'm not going to let you go. Your marriage isn't over. Your kids' lives aren't over. Your relationships are going to be stored. Just start walking with me. 
And he's like, I came home and I told my wife and, and it was kind of, I was scared. I was a little bit embarrassed, but she was like, Hey, let's figure this out together. So we spent a couple of weeks just kind of like investigating, you know, things we could listen to online and, and reading different books and, and really started saying, Hey, what do we want to talk about? And how do we want to think about Jesus? And he's like, that went on. And I kind of felt like God was nudging me for the next thing. And he's like, you know, I used to pass this church, this little church in my neighborhood. And I just said, honey, I'm going to go over there tomorrow. I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to see if the pastor's there. And I was like, Michael, we say that that stuff happens, but you're telling me it really did. That's incredible. I love to hear it. So he's like, I went over there and I start telling the pastor my story. And uh, he's like, I just kept telling him, man, I'm so grateful already. It's just been a couple weeks, but I see how God is changing my life. He's changing my thoughts. He's changing the way that my wife and I are speaking to each other. It's crazy. We don't even really know how. And we're still messing up and we're still not getting it all right. But God is doing something in our life. And the pastor was like, man, I love to hear it. And he's like, and I'm just so grateful. All I know to do is just give back. So I'd love if Saturday I could come over to the church and clean the windows. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he was like, no, I said, I want to come over and clean the windows. And I was like, for free? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And uh, he was like, I went over there and, and I just cleaned the windows. And I was like, Michael, it's a good thing I wasn't the pastor because I probably would have been like, Hey, I can clearly tell, Michael, God's speaking to you, but I think he's got a few more things to say. So let's fix that leaky toilet back there. And let's be listening. I think it's a great, great time to just lean into the Lord. No, but I'm standing there and I'm talking to Michael. and I'm, I'm just like, dude, I'm so encouraged. Because I'm going to be honest, Michael, uh, my story is a little different. I'm what's called a lifer. Uh, my whole life, I have had relationship with God, whether I realize it or not. Uh, on the path to become a pastor, we have to fill out some paperwork and it's like, when was your conversion? And I was like, when I was conceived, <laughs> I don't know. Like all I have known is Jesus, right? And so um, I, ha- I don't have quite the same story. So it encourages me to remind me that, yes, my life is what it is strictly because of Jesus. But what happens is whether we've been lifers or, or maybe we got saved and now some time has happened, we're like Michael. And uh, we were talking about one of my favorite songs, which is Jesus Paid It All, right? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin, I left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Lord, no, I just keep going, right? Uh, I'm singing that, and I'm like, Michael, we all sing that. We love that song. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done. But some time happens. And what happens? We start going through life. And we're like, Jesus paid it all the first time, but I got a stain right here. Start wiping our stains, right? And then I'm like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not really feeling like I measure up. And I got this secret that I don't want people to know about. So let me just, let me start, right? And so we start getting focused on, on all the different stains that we start to see spilling in our life. And we're thinking, yeah, God was good enough to do it the first time, but I sure don't want him to see this stain now. Because now I've committed to him and it'd be embarrassing, embarrassing if he knew that I'm still messing up with this and I still have the sin and the shortcoming. So let me just get wiping, right? And so someone over here is like, what are you doing? We're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to wipe my, my stains away. And, and, you know, I don't want to be pushy, but you could probably do the same. You got some stains all over your shirt. You're like, you know what? You're right. I didn't even... I wasn't aware, but thank you for pointing it out. Now I feel terrible about myself. And then what happens is we start kind of getting bunched up, right? And we can start saying, yeah, yeah, look, look, start cleaning those stains. Yeah, let's start wiping that off, right? Like, hey, Carol's not here. I want to lift her up in prayer. But have you seen her stains lately? 
she's got some work to do. And then it's not too long where someone is like, what are you guys doing? We're cleaning our stage. Either get in or get out. You decide. And it's like, I don't want to be a part of that. And so we close people off. And I love how Galatians tells us, Paul tells us, man, we're to make Jesus attractive to all people. But when we have, yes, accepted that he has saved us, but now we feel like we have to be the sustainers of our faith, and that's not attractive, and that's going to push people away, and it's not going to make us feel better. Also, it's very easy to begin to have a heart of pride, and I'm going to tell you right now, in our Christian faith, there's just no room for it. And so for us, we have to be in the position where it is, man, God saved me. I did nothing to earn it. But he's also sustaining me. And I'm just going to keep walking and working and living freely and lightly with him. So we get to our passage because uh, we need to kind of rewind a little bit. Peter was called by Jesus. I actually uh, preached that sermon last year if you want to go back and look at it. <clears throat> but he's called by Jesus and some amazing things happen. And at the end of uh, Jesus kind of having an interaction with him, Peter drops his nets, follows Jesus. He's all in. He is like, Jesus is good enough for me. I want to live my life with this man. He is bought into the message of Jesus Christ. Now, part of the reason he's bought into it is because Jesus has showed up and started his ministry by saying, hey, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. For Peter and many of the other Jewish people in the area, this is not uh, unusual language. They would be very encouraged by this. And this would be something that they were hoping for, rooting for, and expecting for a long time. The Jewish people now have been under the tyranny and oppression of first the Babylonians, Persians, and now Roman rule. They have lost their kingship within the nations. Their status is gone. But the prophets have promised them that there will be a day that God will restore you and will sit you back on the shelf of all the other nations. And your power and your reign will once again exist. And he's going to give you a new king just like David. And when he comes, man, you follow him because it won't be long before great things and amazing things happen. And so when Jesus comes saying, hey, the kingdom of God has come here, follow me. Whoo, that's a message they've been hoping for. They're excited about. But one that Jesus had to spend three, four years trying to explain that mine's going to be just a hair different. Because for Peter, it is the hope of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, no doubt. It is the belief that God will once again reign within uh, within their community. And so he's excited about that. But it also doesn't hurt that you're the guy that helped put the king on the throne. And so he's pretty excited about, yeah, let me just sit where Jesus' right hand is right here. Peter gets to stand right here. He's looking forward to that. And we know that because many of his actions. And so it's towards the end of Jesus' three-year mission. And he's eating dinner at what's the Passover. We call it the Last Supper. But it's the time that Jesus is, it's the celebration of the time that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. So there's a lot there that could be its own sermon. But in this moment... Jesus is saying, hey, uh, it's happening. This is the inauguration of my kingdom and God's glory on earth. And uh, I got to say, though, there's going to be some tough moments before it all kicks in. And one of you are going to betray me and the rest of you will scatter me. Now, when we 
believe that Jesus is Savior, but then we are sustainer. We want to make sure that we're proven to Jesus that our performance is good enough for us to be in the position we feel like he's called us to. So we'll start to do things like Peter, because Peter stands up and he says, hey, I don't care if all these losers abandon you, I will not. I'll follow you all the way to death, Jesus, if that's what I have to do. And what do we know? Pride comes right before the fall. And so it's a pretty embarrassing moment that's about to happen for Peter because Jesus looks at him and he says, ah, man, actually, Pete, uh, before the sun comes up and before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, I mean, that had to sting. And so Peter is still thinking in terms of, no, 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 Jesus, you need to sit on the throne. I'm going to help it happen. I'll do whatever it needs to be done. And, and I'm going to show you that my performance will help me stand where I believe I should stand right at your right hand. And so they're out there in the garden and they're praying and, and Judas and all the other guys come to arrest Jesus. And what do we see Peter do? He's still leaning on his own strength, right? That one guy comes up, Peter whips out his sword, chops off the guy's ear. A good observation for us to realize is that uh, Peter was a fisherman and he was a missionary, whether he realized it or not. He was not an expert swordsman. So when he chops off the ear, it's not like a, hey, don't take one more step, pal, or I'll take the other one. No, Peter is trying to kill the man. He is very passionate about helping Jesus become king so Peter can be right there with him. It's what he feels like it is is his role. So he will do whatever it takes. So he might not be willing to die for Jesus yet, but he is willing to kill for him. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, that's not in my kingdom. That's not how we do things, Pete. Those that live by the sword, they die by the sword. We're doing things differently. And so they arrest Jesus and they take him off to the courtyard. and, And that's where we see that Peter denies Jesus, and we're about to get to just the the absolute meat of it all. And so three times Peter denies Jesus. We don't believe this anymore, and and it's not how we're set up culturally or society-wise, but but in this time, there would have been, they had different ranks, right? Different classes, and so, uh, you know, gender and work and all that type of stuff really mattered. And so uh, the very first person that Peter denies Jesus to is a servant girl. Which means that in this moment, Peter's pride is, I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus, I'll die with you if I have to. But in reality, he can't even get together the gall and the gumption to tell a nameless, faceless, lowest person in society that, yeah, that's my friend. And so probably, whether he even realizes it or not, it's the realization of, oh man, I don't have what it takes. I'm missing the mark. And that third time, he denies Jesus. Luke gives us a description that we don't see in the other Gospels. And it says that the Lord turned and looked Peter in the eye. Now that alone, that'll sting. Imagine your best friend. You've just just said you don't even know him. And now they're looking at you and they see you. The pain that Jesus felt, no doubt. The pain that Peter felt was real. And the temptation for me is to think that as Jesus turns and looks at Peter, it is a look of disappointment. Pete, I even gave you a warning and you still didn't get it right, buddy. Right? Like a face of discouragement. But I think there's something more going on here. Uh, 
it doesn't say it explicitly, but I don't know how to say it any other way that Peter is sinning in this moment. If I denied Jesus right now to you publicly, you'd probably be like, man, that's a sin. But even then, let's just break it down. Sin is the idea of missing the mark, missing the goal. I'm pretty sure saying that God is not my friend is missing the goal. And so he's here in his sin. In the Old Testament, uh, we see that there are times when God wants to interact with human beings. And he says, hey, I'm so holy and you're so full of sin that you need to turn away from me. Because if you looked at me, it would kill you. And then there's another part of the script. Moses is a great example of that. There's another part and uh can't remember. I think it's Amos. <laughs> but it's somewhere. Uh read your Bible. Where me too. Where where God says, Hey, I, I can't deal with you, your sins, your iniquities, uh, I can't even look at it, so I'm gonna turn my face from you. This has been under the old covenant, but we're now stepping into a new covenant, and God is saying, Hey. I'm going to make rivers in the desert. I'm going to make paths in the wilderness. I'm going to pour new wine and new wineskins. I'm doing something different. And so God steps in to humanity, puts on flesh and bone, manifests himself. The word is incarnation. He is Jesus. And where are the eyes of Jesus in the moment of Peter's sin? Locked in to the eyes of Peter. What am I trying to say? That for so many times in our life, it is this idea of Jesus has saved me, his work on the cross, no doubt. Like I give my life to you, but now I'm going to make sure that I don't make you angry, that I don't make you upset. And I still want to make sure that you're looking in my direction. And so I'm going to hide my sin or I'm going to try to mask it or I don't want to confess it or whatever it might be. When the reality is the moment where Peter is realizing, wow, I've really been missing the mark. I bet Jesus is upset and disappointed. Jesus still has his face in the direction of Peter. And as I looked into it further, the word looked is the same word that John uses when he uh, describes the interaction between Jesus and Peter and the way that Jesus looked at him. And it's the exact same word that is used to describe the interaction between Jesus and Paul on the road to Damascus and the way that Jesus looked at Paul. And the description of the way the word is this idea of intimacy and connection. And so it's more like a gaze, right? And he's just gazing at him. And I'm not saying that Jesus isn't hurt, but he's not surprised. There wasn't a moment here where he's like, oh, God, hold on. Time out. I got to have better help. Are you seeing these guys? We're never going to accomplish our goal if this is how they operate. They've scattered and they're fearful and they're denying me. Let's run it back. Give me a new team. No, that's not it. And he's not shouting at Peter either. It wasn't that Jesus is like, oh, you messed up. And I guess I'll still go to the cross. No, no, it was. I knew this was going to happen the whole time. Peter, I'm not going to the cross in spite of your sin. I'm going to the cross for it. You don't got to hide it from me. There's going to be time for us to restore our relationship. But right now I'm living in mission. And, and, And the best thing for you and I and Peter to realize is that when we start acting like we're the sustainer, we put ourselves in a position that we were never meant to be, right? And it's easy to kind of get prideful or boasty in who we are and what we've done and how God's leading us. But the truth of the matter is, the only contribution that you and I have made to the saving grace of Jesus Christ is our sin. 
that levels the playing field real quick. But the beauty is, even in our sin, the gaze of Jesus is still in our direction. How long do we think, that? oh, now I've messed up. God has turned his face for me, so now I need to prove it. And by my performance, I will get God to love me again. And he's like, no, 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 no. While you were still sinners, I died for you. And I, who knew no sin, became sin so that you might become the righteousness in Christ Jesus. You are hidden in Christ, believer. God can't love you any more than he already does. Now, don't get it twisted. It's not that I'm someone that's like, it's all grace, give sin the old wink in the gun. That's not it. I believe in discipline. I believe in self-control. I believe in transformation. God is going to do it. But where is our position? It is fixed on the eyes of Jesus. And so God's kingdom is coming in. And and, and I want us to see real quick, and we're going to get close here to wrapping it up. uh, What is his kingdom all about? So we're going to be in Romans 14, 17 through 18. And uh, Paul tells us that the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating or drinking. He's talking to the, the Jewish people there. And he says, look, you have your traditions, you have your codes. There there was a season and a time for these. But now you've, you've missed the mark a little bit. Now you're seeing those as the ends instead of me as the ends. And so it's not about you doing all the right things. Instead, it's about righteousness, peace and joy. In the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. I think it should be noted that two thirds of the king's reign is about peace and joy. You met anybody that needs more peace and joy in your life? I would love to have more peace and joy in my life. And he's saying, yeah, that, that, that those are the uh, primary emotions of a believer. And the first adjective of God's kingdom is righteousness. Sheer gift. It can't be earned. We can't work for it. It's something that just through the cross we have been given. So the king's reign is all about making his people as righteous as the king. That's where he's saying, look, you just hide in me. You fix your eyes on me. And so righteousness, peace, enjoy the primary emotion of God's kingdom of your life, my life, and this church. How do we get there? In the efforts of Timmy Riggs. Now, we're going to fail day one, okay? Rather, it's in the Holy Spirit. He says, whoever serves God in this way is pleasing to him and finds approval with human beings. Well, what do you mean? How do you serve God? Like, what is it the effort of trying to be? No, no, no. You serve God by being in the Holy Spirit. That's your job. That's your role. Out of that comes your righteousness, peace, and joy. And the fact is, what happens when you live a life a little bit more peaceful and joyful than everybody else in culture? People are going to be like, what are you doing? Is it Botox? How, how are you getting, how's your face so happy all of a sudden? It's like, man, I, I just keep focusing on him. Pastor Scott, you can come out, tickle the ivories. I got one more passage. I'm, th- I'm throwing them out like t-shirts at a Thunder game, okay? But I figure... At church, this is where we should be looking at God's word. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Uh, Paul's trying to remind his people that uh, there are others that have gone ahead of you in faith. And he says, therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's get rid of the scrubbing. And let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us because we each have a race 
How do we do this? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Other transition, uh, translations say the author and finisher of our faith. But the bottom line is he, he begins it and he finishes it. The word perfecter is not that you have to try to act perfect. It's that God is going to complete and make your faith whole. How do I do it? Just by fixing my eyes on Jesus. Well, how do I get his attention? You don't have to. He's already looking in your direction. Even when I'm sinning, yeah. He is passionate and adamant about revealing his love to you. And so all we have to do is fix our eyes on him. How do we do it? Oh, we sing songs about him. We talk about him. We get together, we remind each other of the amazing things he's doing in our life. We, we know the practices. But the goal is, I don't need to impress you with my practices. The goal is, I just want to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I love the very end of it. Uh, we could still think that maybe, all right, God's up in heaven. And he's like, all right, guys. He's got all these like buttons and stuff, you know, and he sees everybody messing up. And he's like, we got to work really hard. We got to do some overtime. Gabriel, you're not going home tonight. We got to make sure this person's redeemed, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what's going on up there. The Bible says that and after he stepped into the joy that was set before him, he sat down. Just seated at the right hand of the Father. That's not a posture of fear. Or like there's more work to be done. Actually, it's echoing the words that he said on the cross. It is finished. And all I got to do is look in his direction. What's the outcome? Righteousness, peace, and joy. And we become a mirror to everybody around us. And so, so then we start looking for them, right? Because it's easy for us to be like, well, I don't, I don't need to be looking at them. I don't, you know, they're sinners. I got to make sure I protect myself. And God's like, no, no, no. Uh, when you're just focusing on me, what happens is your face will turn towards them. And that's how they're going to see me. You're going to reach a whole lot more than 500 people if we just say, hey, I, I don't have any tips or tricks or evangelism 101. I'm just focusing on Jesus and I'm letting him redeem, restore my life. He is the savior, but he's also the sustainer. My position is strictly to just focus on him. And this is it. I'm closing right here. My last story. Uh, there's no glory days in my football tales. Okay. And so it's a senior year and I, I throw a ball and we're playing our rival team and uh, it gets intercepted. It wasn't a bad pass. The guy was just pretty good. Caught it one-handed. I run off to the sidelines. My coach is like, man, what What were you thinking? And I was like, I don't know. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey, Tim. I can tell it's my dad's voice. It's deep. I didn't get that. And I look up and he says, hey, I know you threw it to the wrong team. But that was your prettiest ball tonight. And both my mom and dad, they're up there, they're smiling, just flat out proud of their son, even when he's not quite getting it right. What if you knew that was the face of your heavenly father in your direction forever and ever? Unfabricated, unmanufactured, just straight up in love with you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Uh, just remind us day in, day out. All we have to do is focus on you. You'll take care of the rest. 
We thank you for your love. We're just so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.